0: Hey, Christ community. It is great to be with you today. Uh, I have an announcement. I'm officially a grandpa. Uh, Silas Owen Craft was born last week, so it was so much fun. We are so thrilled. Got to show a couple pictures because that's what grandparents do. So here was my first opportunity to hold him in the hospital, our first meeting. And then I have another kind of close up of him. So uh, again, we're so excited and thrilled. Thanks for those of you who have been praying for that in our lives. Um, hey, welcome uh, to college students, any college students who might be tuning in. Man, we're so glad that you are are back. We miss you guys during the summer and and just love our college students and um, would love to have you be a part of the Christ Community family, um, however you're able to engage in that in your time at UNC or wherever you go to college. So speaking of college, I remember how that season of my life was dominated by one particular question. What is my purpose in life? What career should I pursue? What should I major in? There's there's, there's kind of this pressure to have all that figured out when you're like 19. I mean, that's kind of crazy. When I was 19, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I wanted to be a chemical engineer. And then after three and a half years of studying chemical engineering, I realized I hated engineering. And then I switched to secondary education. I taught high school for a couple years before feeling a desire to go to seminary. So for me, my finding my vocational purpose has very much been a journey. But what I'm discovering is that this question of purpose goes way beyond simply a vocational question. Choosing the right career or the right major or whatever. It, it actually is a question that every one of us carries in the core of our being. Deep down, every human being is asking this existential question, why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Now, for some of us, our answer is basically the answer of our culture that your purpose in life is ultimately about you. It's about getting exactly what you want, when and how you want it. I I got uh, someone a Starbucks order the other day, They texted me what they wanted. I mean, the description was like two paragraphs long, you know, vanilla sweet cream, cold brew, extra splash of sweet cream, no ice. I mean, wow. I mean, at one level, it's pretty fun living in a society where we can choose all the specific things that we like. But I wonder sometimes if a continual focus on self does something to our soul over time. When life is all about us getting what we want, we can start to become discontent and cranky, um, unsatisfied, and critical. Now, the other response that many people have to this question of purpose is to feel like you have no purpose, that your life is just maybe sort of a waste of space on this planet. And when we feel like we have no meaningful purpose, life can become empty and hopeless. So what if we had Jesus here to answer this question for us. What would Jesus say your purpose in life is? Well, we're in the midst of a teaching series where we're talking, we're walking through the book of John and we come to a passage that reveals a very significant purpose that Jesus has for your life and mine. It's not about your age, your income, your education, your ethnic background, your giftedness. It's about something that is totally unique to you, your story. Your Story with Jesus. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to John chapter 9. In John 9, we're introduced to an ordinary man in horrible circumstances who feels like he has no purpose, and then he meets Jesus, and suddenly he finds purpose, and he shows us how we can find purpose as well. All right, John 9, verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent." So the man went and washed and came home seeing." I mean, this is an amazing miracle that just happened. A man blind from birth <clears throat> receives his sight. But the way John tells this story reveals that this is not simply about the miracle itself. It is about so much more than that. When Jesus sees this blind man on the side of the road, the disciples ask him this question, who sent to cause this man's blindness from birth? His parents or, or him? And the disciples were reflecting a common Jewish belief of that day, that that blindness, something like that, was a direct, direct result of sin. Either he sinned in his mother's womb or his parents sinned. But Jesus responds here by stating that this man's blindness was not caused by sin in his life or his parents. Rather, Jesus says, this blindness happened so that the works of God might be displayed. In other words, this suffering is an opportunity for God to reveal his true heart and his true purpose, that of healing and wholeness and restoration. But again, this passage is not just about the miracle. That's why John spends very little time talking about the actual miracle that Jesus performs. It's about Something more significant here. It's about how we get invited into the purpose of Jesus. Now we know from this pron- we know this, um, this shift from, from the a pronoun thing that happens here in verse four. Look at, look at verse four. Notice what Jesus says. As long as as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus doesn't say, I must do the works of God. I mean, that's been the kind of language that he's been using up to this point in the book of John. But here he says, we, we must do the works of him who sent Jesus. So what we see here and why this is not just about the miracle itself, it's about so much more. We see Jesus is actually inviting us into his ministry of bringing light to the world. Now, this idea is reinforced even further in verse 7, when after Jesus tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, John then adds this statement about the word Siloam. He tells us that this word means sent. Now, John doesn't just write things for the heck of it. He is telling us something here. This man who washed in the pool of Siloam is about to be sent into the world. This man is about to discover his life purpose. He is about to become a sent one. Okay. So what is he going to be sent with? What is he going to be sent out with? He has no training, no, right? He has no financial means. He's been begging on the street. He's not even fully up to speed on who Jesus is theologically and all that. He has none of that. So what is he going to be sent out into the world with? A story, a story, his story of Jesus touching his life. As we're going to see, this ordinary man simply telling his story completely befuddles and ultimately silences the theologically steeped religious leaders of the day. See, what I believe John is saying to all of us in this passage is this, never underestimate the power of your Jesus story. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, a crucial part of our purpose in life is to be a signpost pointing people to Jesus. We are not the point of life. (laughs) We're not. Jesus is. And so we have this amazing privilege to point people to him. That is our life purpose. And as we're going to see in this passage, the most powerful way to be a signpost for Jesus, the most powerful way to point people to Jesus is to simply tell your story of how Jesus has impacted your life. So this entire next section of this passage from verse 8 to verse 34 is all about this man telling his story. To various people. It starts with his neighbors. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Okay, so these neighbors who had seen him begging for years, they'd walked past, he was in that neighborhood, they lived in that area, they'd seen him begging for years. Now they see him walking around and they're like, Is this the same guy? Oh no, it must be a twin. You know, they're 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 having this conversation right in front of him. And finally he he pipes up and he says, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Um, so as was customary, they they decide to take him to the religious leaders to show the religious leaders what God had done. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Okay, so they, the, these neighbors bring him to, to the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him how he can now see. And the man says, Jesus put mud, this guy named Jesus put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see, simply telling a story. Now, what had the Pharisees all hot and bothered was the fact that Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he does this miracle on the Sabbath, which broke several of their man-made rules. And so these, this, this puts the religious leaders in a bit of a quandary. Some of them were saying This miracle can't be from God because Jesus broke Sabbath rules in order to do the miracle. But others were saying, well, he might have broken their rules, but how could a sinner perform a miracle like this? So they were divided on the issue and what to do. So once again, they turned to this formerly blind man who's still standing there, um, listening to all of this, and they asked him a slightly different question. Verse 17, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Okay, so these religious leaders are still, they're not willing to believe that a miracle has actually happened. And so they send for his parents. Maybe this guy wasn't blind in the first place. Um, And so here's what happens. Verse 19, they, they ask the parents, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Okay. These parents confirm that this is indeed their son who was born blind. But they're also afraid of of getting kicked out of the synagogue that they align themselves with Jesus in some way, and that which would be a really huge deal in that culture. So the parents deflect the focus from themselves by simply saying, ask him yourself. He's old enough to answer your questions. Verse 24, second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love this. These Pharisees are trying to pull this guy into a theological debate about who Jesus is. They want him to, uh, to affirm the conclusion that they've already come to, that Jesus is a sinner. And this man's response is so brilliant. Whether I, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind. But now I see. See, this is the power of personal story, of personal experience. I remember years ago hearing a quote from Leonard Ravenhill who said, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. See, this man had experienced Jesus in a real personal, transformative way. He had a story. And when that personal story got proclaimed in the presence of all these highly educated, sophisticated religious leaders, they had no argument. They had no argument. Their well-developed theology of Sabbath-keeping disintegrated in the face of what had happened to this man. His experience with Jesus overwhelmingly trumped their theological arguments against Jesus. Again, he simply said, I don't know anything about whether or not this guy's a sinner. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, this guy's hilarious. He's refreshingly honest and unintimidated. He says, look, I've already told you what happened to me. I told you about the mud and all this stuff. I already told you, but you keep asking me the same questions. Maybe you guys want to become his disciples as well, which as you can imagine, didn't go over very well with the religious leaders. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And notice what, what this man is doing. He's simply telling a story of what Jesus has done and letting the implications speak for themselves. But, but here's what's so fascinating about this interchange. Think about this in the context of the entire book of John up to this point. For the past few chapters of John, we have seen Jesus continually engaged in this intense argument with the Pharisees about his identity as being from God, chapter five. It happens in chapter six, in chapter seven, in chapter eight. The same argument arises. Jesus claims to be God, and the religious leaders dispute that claim. But now, in John 9, we have another person who is engaging in this same argument with the religious leaders. Here's this ordinary man who is baffling the religious leaders with his response. How? By simply telling his own story of how Jesus has impacted his life. You see, he is being a signpost to these religious leaders. He is pointing them to who Jesus is. And in doing so, it provokes this very angry response from them. Verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I mean, they're left with nothing... But slurs and insults accusing him of being steeped. This is so cruel. They're accusing him of being steeped in sin at birth because of his blindness, but he's not blind anymore. (laughs) They're accusing him of something that's just not even, he's not blind anymore. Jesus has touched him. The shame of his previous condition in that culture is no longer attached to him anymore. Jesus has set him free from the shame these religious leaders are trying to heap on him. They they know right now, they know they've lost the argument. So all they can do is insult him and then kick him out. I love what happens next. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Notice, Jesus heard that they had insulted him and they had kicked him out of the synagogue. So what did Jesus do? He went to find him. He went looking for him. I love this. Clearly, Jesus is looking for signposts. He is looking for people who are willing to share their Jesus story in the midst of this dark world. So when he finds him, he asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? His title, Son of Man, refers to the one sent from God, God in the flesh, the Messiah. Verse 36, who is he, sir? The man replied, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He now fully sees who Jesus is, not only physically, but with the eyes of his heart, the eyes of his soul, and he worships him. He worships him as God. He worships him as Lord. His story is now complete. He now fully understands who it is that has healed him of his spiritual and physical blindness. Who it is that has lifted his shame. It's it's Jesus. Jesus has dramatically impacted this man's life. Now, at this point, Jesus responds in a very curious way, because some other Pharisees are watching all this interchange inner happen. Verse thirty-nine: Jesus said, for, judge, "For judgment, I've come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind." Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, "What? Are we blind too?" And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, Jesus is now using this opportunity to talk about a completely different kind of blindness, a spiritual blindness. He is declaring that the Pharisees are actually the blind ones because they refuse to see what Jesus has done they refuse to acknowledge and be impacted by this man's story again we see the power of our story with Jesus our Jesus story has the power to open people's eyes and help them see Jesus more clearly never underestimate the power of your story. By sharing with other people what Jesus has done in your life, you and I become a signpost. We become an instrument God uses to point people toward his son, Jesus. I mean, think about that. So often we can fall into a trap of thinking, I don't know how to evangelize. I don't have to know enough of the Bible. I don't know what to say. I, don't, I haven't been to seminary. I don't have all the theological answers to people's questions. I can never really make an impact for Jesus." But what this passage tells us is that you do have something. You do have something that can make an impact for Jesus in the lives of people around you. You have a story. You have a story. You have a story of how Jesus has impacted your life. Maybe lots of stories. Never underestimate the power of your story. What is your story with Jesus? In what ways has he impacted your life? How have you personally experienced him in your life? I mean, think about that for a moment. Where, where have you experienced Jesus impacting your life in a real way? Now, you may be thinking, I don't know what that story might be in my own life. I don't even know where to look. Well, here's one suggestion about where to look. Look for where Jesus has met you in the past in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your suffering. It was because of this man's suffering that he experienced Jesus. Jesus even said that. This happened so that the glory of God could be manifest. It was because of his suffering that Jesus had an opportunity to touch this man. So, So where... And how have you experienced Jesus in your suffering, in your difficulties? I mean, my mind immediately goes to the number of times I've experienced Jesus' forgiveness in the aftermath of some failure, personal failure. The number of times I've experienced Jesus' love in the midst of my shame. I mean, those experiences weren't simply theological. I mean, I felt and experienced his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Other times in my life, I've experienced Jesus in more dramatic ways. I, I remember, I think of a season in my life years ago where I was having panic attacks and I, did, I didn't I did know what to do, honestly. I felt hopeless and helpless. And, and so I went to this counseling retreat kind of thing and in the, on the Western Slope. And in the midst of this counseling retreat, I was by myself just one afternoon in my room and I was just beginning to pray. And I I experienced the Lord's love being poured out upon me in a tangible way. It literally felt like electricity was flowing into and through my body for about 15 minutes. It was crazy. Now, look, here's here's what's interesting to me. I was thinking about that with the story and all that. Here's what's interesting. For some reason, I don't often tell that story. Why is that? It was so powerful. It was so real. Jesus met me in a dramatic way, but I often don't share that story with people. I mean, what impact could that story have? I'm asking myself, what? If, why have I been sharing it? What impact could that story have on people around me who are experiencing anxiety or who are experiencing struggles? Never underestimate the power of sharing your Jesus stories. I had lunch a few weeks ago with a man in our church um, who had been through some challenging things in his life, his wife passing away nine years ago. And he was telling me that, you know, that that had happened nine years ago. And I asked him, how did that impact your faith? You know, how, how, how did you keep your faith in the midst of something like that? So difficult. And he, he said, I've had too many experiences in my life where Jesus has met me in a dramatic way. And I was like, well, tell me more. Uh, So I asked him, tell me some of these stories. And he recounted two significant, two specific stories, two significant miraculous things Jesus had done in his life. One was an encounter he had with God in a hospital room by himself one morning, looking out the window, and an, an encounter he had where God physically lifted his body off the bed. It's crazy. And the other was a vision he saw early one morning that related to his granddaughter and something that had happened to her. And the story was so powerful. We were both in tears as he was telling this story. And I'm just telling you, my fate was impacted in a significant way. Never underestimate the power of your Jesus stories as a way of pointing. People to him, and I'm not just talking about talking to other Christians, but to, I'm talking about telling our stories to anyone, to people around us when we have opportunity. I mean, people around us—they're looking for hope. They're looking—they want to know. So many people around us at work or whatever—they want to know that Je- they want to know if Jesus is real. They don't even believe; they just want to know if he's real. And that they, maybe they want to know if their shame could be lifted, their sins could be forgiven. They, they want to know that. And look, we may not know the exact Bible verse to turn to in that moment, but we know our story. We know how Jesus has impacted our lives. So look, friends, imagine the impact if you and I, if we intentionally looked for opportunities to share our stories of what Jesus has done in our lives. Maybe your story includes an experience of Jesus forgiving you after a huge failure. Or time you experience Jesus' love for you in the place of wounding or shame. Maybe, maybe it's a, a story of him healing your marriage or or helping you break free from the darkness of an addiction, or, or perhaps healing a loved one's physical body. Maybe it's a story of his strength being given to you in the midst of severe suffering. And you know that what happened to you is real. Well, why not ask God for opportunities to share that story with others? I mean, the cool thing about stories is that they can be a normal part of a conversation with a friend over coffee. It doesn't have to feel weird. It doesn't have to be like we're trying to sell something or, or convince someone to win an argument or convince something of something. We're just telling a story of something that happened in our lives. That's all we're doing. We're not looking for an argument or anything. We're just telling a story of something that's happened in our lives. I mean, we tell all sorts of other stories in conversation. Why not tell stories of specific ways Jesus has impacted our lives? And here's the cool thing. In doing so, we actually discover our purpose. We, we, we see that even our difficulties and our suffering, those are places where Jesus has met us, and we are able to be a signpost for him. Again, it is not about us having all the answers or the most powerful arguments or whatever. It's simply about us looking for places in our lives where we were blind and now we see, where Jesus met us in our weakness and he touched our lives with his love. So let me challenge us all to apply this in a very specific, intentional way. Let's practice this with each other this coming week around the dinner table or at your small group or over a cup of coffee with a fret, I encourage you to intentionally take some time, incorporate into those conversations an opportunity to tell one Jesus story. Maybe something that happened that day, maybe something that happened long ago in our past. But see, here's the deal. The more we practice looking at our lives through the lens of story and then telling those stories, the more joy we will find in our life purpose. You are a signpost for Jesus. I am a signpost for Jesus. And our stories are the way that we get to help point people to him. Amen. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we thank you for the ways you've impacted our lives. And God, I'm asking you, we, I'm asking you on behalf of all those who are watching, God, would you help us see our lives through the lens of story? And so I want you to take a moment, as we're in a prayerful attitude here, take a moment and let's just ask Jesus to bring to mind a specific incident in your life where he met you in a real way. So Holy Spirit, bring that to each one of our minds. Well, I'm... I'm, Personally, I'm feeling overwhelmed with the Lord. It's just bam, bam, bam. He's just reminding me of these ways. Years ago, even just ways that he met me and impacted my life. Thank you, Lord. So as we're, as, as, as these things are coming to mind, or maybe just one thing is coming to mind a specific way, God is just. He met you in a real way. Here's what I want want you to do. I want you to ask him right now. Just ask the Lord for an opportunity to share that story with someone this week. Maybe even today. Ask for the opportunity to share that story in a conversation. Now, maybe your story with Jesus hasn't begun yet. Maybe there's some of you are watching and you realize you're like the blind man who longs to see. And Jesus would love to open your eyes. He would love to come live in your heart, forgive your sin and transform you with his love. So if you have never said yes to Jesus, would you pray with me right now? Just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I open my heart and my life to you. Would you fill those places of darkness with your light? And your love thank you for dying on the cross for me I ask you to forgive my sins and come live in me transforming me through the power of your love God, to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer help them grow in their new relationship with you and if you just prayed that prayer, I just want to let you know, you now have a story to tell. <laughs> you have a story to tell. So God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we pray for opportunities to shine your light, to help point people to you. By sharing the ways you've impacted our lives.